to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Let us begin this morning with chapter one of the Book of Lamentations, known in Hebrew as Echa. Alas, lonely sits the city once great with people. She that was great among nations is become like a widow. The princess among states is become a thrall Bitterly she weeps in the night, her cheek wet with tears. There is none to comfort her of all her friends. All of her allies have betrayed her, they have become her foes. Judah has gone into exile because of misery and harsh oppression. When she settled among the nations, she found no rest. All her pursuers overtook her in the narrow places. Zion's roads are in mourning, empty of festival pilgrims. All her gates are deserted, her high priests sigh. Her maidens are unhappy, she is utterly disconsolate. Her enemies are now the masters. Her foes are at ease because the Lord has afflicted her for her many transgressions. Her infants have gone into captivity before the enemy. Gone from fair Zion are all that were her glory. Her leaders were like stags that found no pasture. They could only walk feebly before the pursuer. All the precious things she had in the days of old Jerusalem recalled in her days of woe and sorrow, when her people fell before enemy hands with none to help her, when enemies looked on and gloated over her downfall. Jerusalem has greatly sinned, therefore she has become a mockery. All who admired her despise her, for they have seen her disgraced, and she can only sigh and shrink back. Her uncleanliness clings to her skirts. She gave no thought to her future. She has sunk appallingly with none to comfort her. See, O God, my misery, my the enemy jeers. The foe has laid hands on everything dear to her. She has seen her sanctuary invaded by nations which have denied admission into your community. All her inhabitants sigh as they search for bread. They have bartered their treasures for food. They keep themselves alive. See, O God, and behold how abject I have become. May it never befall you all who pass along the road, look about and see, is there any agony like ours which was dealt to us when God afflicted me on our day of wrath? From above he sent fire down into my bones, he spread a net for my feet. He hurled me backward, he has left me forlorn in constant misery. The yoke of my offenses is bound fast, lashed tight by God's hand, imposed upon my neck. It saps my strength. God has delivered me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. God is in my midst, has rejected all my heroes. God has proclaimed a set time against me to crush my young men. And in a press, the Lord trodden, fair maiden Judah. For these things do I weep. My eyes flow with tears. Far from me is any comforter who might revive my spirit. 
My children are forlorn, for the foe has prevailed. Zion spreads out her hand. She has no one to comfort her. The Lord has summoned against Jacob his enemies all about him. Jerusalem has become among them a thing unclean. The Lord is in the right, for I have disobeyed him. Hear all ye peoples, and behold my agony. My maidens and my youth have gone into captivity. I cried out to my friends, but they played me false. My priests and my elders have perished in the city as they search for food to keep themselves alive. See, O God, the distress I am in. My heart is in anguish. I know how wrong I was to disobey. Outside the sword deals death, indoors the plague. When they heard how I was sighing, there was none to comfort me. All my foes heard of my plight and exalted. For it is your doing. You have brought on the day that you threatened. Oh, let them come before me. Let all their wrongdoing come before you, O eternal God, and deal with them. As you had dealt with me for all my transgressions, for my sighs are many, and my hearts are sick. In midst of a summer, a summer of heat, the author of Lamentations, known in Hebrew as Echa, ponders what life is like following the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the exile into Babylon. In the summer, the Jewish people turn their thoughts from the frolic and holiday of summertime to history. And in synagogues throughout the world, on Sunday, the book of Echa will be read in commemoration of major historical events on the day known as Tisha B'Av, the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av. And this morning, I want to speak to you about Tisha B'Av. I want to share with you some thoughts about the holiday itself and then the considerations of some of the great thinkers of modern Judaism and ancient Judaism as they ponder why we would remember these days. The three weeks between the 17th of the Hebrew month of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the month of Av, have historically been days of misfortune and calamity for the Jewish people. During this time, both the first and second temples were destroyed, amongst other tragedies. These days are referred to as the period in English known as within the straits, Bain Hamitzarim in Hebrew. In accordance with the verse, which I read to you from Lamentations 1.3, all her oppressors have overtaken her within the straits. During this period, various aspects of mourning are observed by the traditional and religious Jews. Minimize joy and celebration. Traditionally, no weddings are held during these days. Jews do not listen to frivolous music. And those of the most religious nature do not even have haircuts or shaving. The expression of mourning takes on greater intensity as the Jewish people approach the day of Tisha B'Av. Since the attribute of divine judgment, din, is actually felt 
Traditionally, we avoid potentially dangerous or risky endeavors. On Shabbat, during the three weeks, the Haftarot are taken from the chapters in Isaiah and Jeremiah, dealing with the temple's destruction and the exile of the Jewish people. Agonizing over these events is meant to help us conquer the spiritual deficiencies which brought about these tragic events. Through the process of tshuva, self-introspection, and a commitment to improve, the Jewish people have the power to transform tragedy into joy. In fact, the Talmud, the ancient writings of the sages, says that after the future redemption of Israel and the rebuilding of the temple, these days, the days between the 17th of Tammuz and Tishabav, will be rededicated to days of rejoicing and festivity. The beginning of the three-week period of mourning is the 17th day of Tammuz, a fast day commemorating the fall of the city of Jerusalem prior to the destruction of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. According to tradition, on the 17th day of Tammuz, no eating or drinking is permitted from break of dawn until desk, dusk. Should the day coincide with Shabbat, the fast is delayed until Sunday. Five catastrophes are assigned to this day, the 17th of Tammuz. These traditional assignments are not necessarily based on fact, but based on biblical rabbinic interpretation. So the first one is, according to tradition, Moses broke the tablets at Mount Sinai in response to the sin of the golden calf on the 17th of Tammuz. The daily offerings in the first temple were suspended during the siege of Jerusalem after the Kohanim could no longer obtain animals. Jerusalem's walls were breached prior to the destruction of the second temple in 70 CE. Prior to the Great Revolt 70 years later, the Roman general Apostamos burned a Torah scroll, setting a precedent for the horrifying burning of Jewish books throughout the centuries. And lastly, an idolatrous image was placed in the sanctuary of the Holy Temple, a brazen act of blasphemy and desecration. So that is why the 17th of Tammuz, according to Jewish tradition, is a fast day. The period commencing with Rosh Chodesh Av, namely 21 days later, is called the Nine Days. During this time, a strict level of mourning is observed in accordance with the Talmudic dictum, when the month of Av begins, we reduce our joy. During this time, the additional signs of mourning, including abstinence from meat and wine, except on Shabbat, and from doing laundry or wearing freshly laundered clothes, except on Shabbat, permeates the traditional Jewish world. We also do not bathe for pleasure, it says in the Talmud, though it is permitted to bathe in cool water in order to remove dirt or perspiration. The intensity of this period of mourning reaches a peak on Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, and our Jewish tradition suggests that five national calamities occurred on this day. During the time of Moses, Jews in the desert accepted the slanderous report of the 12 tribes, 
the decree was issued forbidding them from entering the land of Israel. You remember that story. The tribes are sent out to look at the land. Ten come back and say the land is uninhabitable to the Jewish people. Joshua and Caleb say, no, 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 we can conquer the land. But because of their lack of faith, the people of Israel are forced to wander in the desert 40 years. According to tradition, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BCE. The third is that the second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE. The fourth is that the Bar Kokhba revolt was crushed by Roman Emperor Hadrian in 135 BCE. And fifthly, the Temple Mount was plowed under and Jerusalem was rebuilt as a pagan city in 134 CE. Now, other grave misfortunes throughout Jewish history coincided with the Ninth of Av, including the expulsion from Spain in 1492, the outbreak of World War I in 1914, and the mass deportation of Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto in 1942. There are other events that are assigned by Jewish tradition and by history to this day. During the late afternoon prior to Tisha B'Av, it is customary to eat a Sudah Hamaf Seket, a meal consisting of only bread, water, and hard-boiled egg. The food is dipped in ashes, symbolic of mourning, and eaten while seated on the ground. Of course, when Tisha B'Av falls on Shabbat, as it does this year, um, events are moved to Sunday. Sundown marks the commencement of Tisha B'Av, where no eating or drinking is permitted until nightfall the following day. We also do not learn Torah except for texts relevant to Tisha B'Av. Now, there are many laws related to Tisha B'Av, and some of them are changed when the tradition falls on a Shabbat. So let me read to you some of the um, traditions that change. Um, the halachic principle that there is no mourning on Shabbat even applies when Trishabah falls on Shabbat, and the fast is postponed to Sunday. And therefore, on Shabbat, one may eat meat and drink wine, even to the degree of a feast of King Solomon. Similarly, is permitted to sing Zmirot, songs on Shabbat, as there is no mourning. Learning Torah on Shabbat is permitted. However, the period of the sunset until dark, the emergence of the star, changes that. The twilight period is deemed as an intermediate period in that on one hand it is still considered Shabbat, yet on the other hand the obligations of Tisha B'Av have already commenced. From a Jewish legal perspective, we are in doubt whether this period is considered day or night. It is called in Hebrew ben Hashem Ashot. There is a mitzvah of adding to Shabbat at the onset of Shabbat as well as at the conclusion of Shabbat. Consequently, the minutes immediately after Seit HaKochavim, the emergence of the stars, constitute a period during which Shabbat and the prohibitions of the fast coexist. 
Accordingly, during this period, one does not yet commence the overt mourning customs of Tishavav, but does refrain from activities whose absence would not necessarily be perceived as indicating mourning, including eating, drinking, washing, and anointing. Nevertheless, one who uses the washroom during the Bena Shemashot period washes hands as usual, as refraining from washing hands would constitute observing a mourning practice on Shabbat. There are, of course, a few changes in the liturgy of Shabbat, the prayer service on Tisha B'Av. Every Jewish holiday has its own distinct character, and usually the synagogue prayer service for the holiday is modified in some way so that we can express the distinctive nature of the holiday and its special themes. Sometimes those themes are expressed through special prayers that are recited on those holidays, while sometimes the themes are expressed through a mission of prayers normally recited on ordinary days. The liturgy for the fast day of Tisha B'Av may be unique in the Jewish calendar in that there is a palpable tension between the liturgical additions and the liturgical subtractions. To understand Tisha B'Av, we must examine both our words and our silences in the liturgy. One message of Tisha B'Av is embodied in the prayer and biblical readings that are added to the service. Of course, most notably, the Book of Echa Lamentations, which I began this morning's show with. The dominant theological message of this book is evident in almost every verse. The destruction of the city of Jerusalem was a punishment for the sins of the people of Israel. In the final verse of Lamentations, the people cry out, Take us back, O God, to yourself, and let us come back. Renew our days as of old. The theological message of the book is that when we return to God and repent from our evil ways, we can return to our pre-exilic status. God's punishment, however harsh, was justified, and Tisha B'Av reminds us of God's power and the necessity of obedience and repentance. Many of the keynote address similar themes and embody a similar theology. But the words tell only part of the story of Tisha B'Av. The special silences of Tisha B'Av, created by the liturgical omissions, give us a very different picture of our theological stance on this day. So, silences suggest a reticence to confess our sins. Avinu Malkenu the prayer which says, Our Father, our King, we have sinned before you, is recited on every other fast day, but is omitted on Tisha B'Av. Similarly, the Tachanun prayers recited on most weekdays and almost every other fast days are skipped on Tisha B'Av. Certainly, the book of Echa states that the calamities that befell us on Tisha B'Av were punishments for our sins. But the omission of Avinu Malkenu and Tachanum seems to indicate otherwise. Perhaps we refrain from apology because we, the Jewish people, are not convinced that we are the source of our own misfortune. Silences on this day in liturgical mode evoke our somber mood. Talit and Tefillin, the prayer shawl and the phylacteries are traditionally not worn on Tisha B'Av morning and their blessings are omitted. 
When Tisha B'Av falls on Saturday evening, the Havdalah ceremony that usually brings Shabbat to a close is reduced to only one blessing, to that of the flame. We no longer bless the wine or the spices that are traditional. Many of the traditions are intended to reflect this uh, paradoxical nature of Tisha B'Av. Having shared with you some of the legal materials and some of the reasons for Tisha B'Av, I want to share with you some thoughts uh, of great Jewish writers today and then the past who have tried to consider the meaning of this holiday in the midst of the summer. So I want to share with you the ideas of Rabbi Mark D. Angel, Director of Institute for Jewish Ideas and Ideals. He writes, Why were temples in ancient Jerusalem destroyed? Jewish tradition offers answers. The first temple was destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians because of the sins of the people of Israel. This is evident especially from the prophecies of Jeremiah. The Talmud notes that the Israelites of that period committed major sins. The destruction and exile were brought about because of our sins. The temple, the second temple, was destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE. The Talmud suggests that destruction was the punishment for the sin of Sinat Chinam, Jews hating each other without justification. The theme of being punished before, because of our sin weaves through religious tradition. We chant these words in the additional service known as Mufaf on our festival days. We hear these words from various rabbis and teachers who attempt to explain each of our tragic periods as a result of our sins. Yes, Rabbi Angel writes, certainly we have made sins. Yes, certainly we should remember our sins, introspect, and repent. But he continues, but is it really fair to blame ourselves and our sins for the sufferings we have undergone? How about those wicked nations and peoples who have tortured, murdered, exiled, and humiliated us? Shouldn't we be aiming some of our anger and frustration against them? Whatever sins were committed by the Jews of temple days, weren't the sins of the Babylonians and Romans far worse? Instead of blaming ourselves, he writes, shouldn't we be blaming the vicious enemies who perpetrated such evil against us? Should victims of evil focus on their own shortcomings and ignore the shortcomings of their enemies? Isn't this an added wound and insult to the victims? He continues, does Rabbi Angel. Maimonides, in his letter on astrology, notes that our ancestors suffered for their sins, but the sins were where they did not per- practically in their self-defense. They looked to astrologers and to magic to find supernatural ways out of their trouble. Their sin wasn't of a ritual nature. It was of a practical, organizational, and military nature. If they had been clear-headed, they could have found ways to defend themselves better. They could have developed better foreign policies, he writes. As we prepare to observe Tisha B'Av, we should certainly have thoughts of repentance in mind. We should reflect on our religious shortcomings, but we should also keep Maimonides' view in mind. It is not fruitful to blame ourselves and our sins for all the problems we face. Many of these problems aren't caused by our ritual sins, but by the ruthlessness and hatred of our enemies. 
Our tasks must include practical strength strategies for strengthening ourselves against those who would hurt us. We don't solve our problems today, and perhaps not then by wishful thinking and chasing after the words of wonder workers. Chuva entails repentance and improving our religious lives. Chuva entails clear-sighted practical work to help our people stand tall and strong. As the Jewish people fast and mourn the destruction of our ancient temples in Jerusalem, Rabbi Angel writes, let us also give thanks to the Almighty that we live at a time when Jerusalem is a thriving and beautiful city under Jewish sovereignty. And let us thank all those heroes of the Jewish people who have worked and continue to work for the strengthening of Jerusalem and the entire state of Israel. Another story, this time an older story that gives you a sense of Tisha B'Av. This following story is told of the great French leader Napoleon Bonaparte. He was once traveling through a small Jewish town in Europe. He entered a synagogue, and there he saw an incredible sight, men and women weeping. They were sitting on the floor on small stools holding candles while reading from books. The synagogue had an elaborate chandelier, but only a few candles were lit. If not for the small candles' lights, the magnificent synagogue would have been in complete darkness. It was gloomy and a sad sight to behold. Napoleon asked the people why they were weeping and wanted to know what misfortune had happened here. An enlightened Jewish-French officer told him nothing new and terrible had happened. The Jewish people had a custom to gather once a year on a day called the Ninth Day of Av, a day that marks the destruction of the Jewish people's temple. Twice they built a magnificent temple in Jerusalem, and twice they were destroyed, according to this story. And after their second temple was destroyed, the people were scattered over all the world and sold as slaves. In order to commemorate these sad events, they gathered once a year in a synagogue. They fast, they pray, and they read. Napoleon inquired as to how many years they had been doing this and was told that it was over 2,000 years. Upon hearing this, Napoleon exclaimed, a nation that cries and fasts for over 2,000 years for their land and temple will surely be rewarded with a return to their land. I don't know if that story is true, but it's been repeated over and over again in Jewish tradition. And I suppose that is part of the message of Tisha B'Av. Jewish people will gather and pray for the return of a peaceful Israel. They will remember how wonderful and safe the land of Israel was and how they had a magnificent temple where nations came to pray and pray homage to God. Prayers for the rebuilding of their homeland as a place of peace and a rebuilding of their holy temple where people of all traditions can come and gather and express their thanksgiving to God is the message of the day. The threat of war and nuclear bombs will be on that day a thing of the past. Nuclear energy will only be used for peaceful purposes such as nuclear power. Nations will feel like family and according to Micah, nations shall not lift up a sword against each other, nor shall they learn war anymore. That is perhaps the most important message of Tisha B'Av, not the calamities, but looking to the future. 
for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you shalom and have a good day. You can hear a podcast of this show on CHRI website, and you can um, download it from as a podcast from iTunes. Shalom. <laughs>